One of the things I was recently reminded of was a time when I was, must have been in seventh or eighth grade, and I had to make a story for, for my grammar class. And so I was typing it up on what was then a very modern computer, which some sort of IBM, you know, maybe you can picture those old little blocks that, that used to be called computers. And I was printing it out, I was all done, and I accidentally pushed the power button on the computer. And bzzz, everything was gone. I had hardly printed out a few paragraphs. And so in that moment, I was like, it would be great if I could just... You know, is there something I can do? I quick turned it on again, but it was too late. All my work was done. Uh, Sometimes there's times in life when we wish we could sort of press a reset button on something we did or something we said. Now, the point of this series is obviously we can't undo things that we've done in the past, but we can make decisions and we can make changes today. We can reset today so that we can make tomorrow better. And one of the things we're really stressing is this isn't just to make you feel better about who you are, who, who yourself is. And, and this isn't to make people around you happier either. The, the, the reason we want to reset with our physical life, our emotional life, our, our spiritual life is to give glory to God. And, and that's where I want to, to end and, and lead you today is so that we can find a way to, to realign and reshape our emotional part of us so that we can give glory to God in even better ways. Um, if you were here last week, you know that this, this is p- part two of last week, so here's where it gets complicated. This is week four of our series, but it's part two of week three. So it's, part, it's, it's a heart emotion, it's a heart reset, part two. Um, and if you were here last week, who was the main figure that we talked about? Quiz. Who was our main figure that we talked about? Elijah. Elijah. Yeah, good. <laughs> Elijah was the main guy that we talked about. And... Um, just a quick recap for those of you who weren't here or for, for people who have memories like me. Uh, here's, here's what happened last week is Elijah, you know, he's trying to get people com- to come back to God, which was a hard thing because the entire nation of Israel was into this uh, Baal worship. And so what happened was he defeated the Baal prophets on top of Mount Carmel. He thought this was great. Uh, but then it was this deep downward uh, spiral of despair for Elijah. Uh, Jezebel told him, look, you're going to die in 24 hours. I don't care how popular you are. I don't care if your God is a true God. You're going to die in 24 hours. And that sent Elijah down into this deep despair. So deep that he traveled for a day out into the desert all by himself. He laid down under a broom tree to die. And that's where God kicked in. He not literally kicked in. He touched Elijah. He said, all right, get up. We got to keep moving here. And, And God brought him all the way to Mount Horeb. And for those of you who were here last week, what's the other name for Mount Horeb? Sinai. This is also Mount Sinai. Same name, same place. So God brought him there, and now God is going to help him reset emotionally, which is something that Elijah de- desperately needs. The other thing about last week is this is the four, these are the four words that we came up with last week. Um, this is how your emotions work. There is some sort of event in your life that leads you to a thought. Somebody cuts in front of me in line. I think that person is, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, that, that thought then leads to a feeling. I feel angry about what they did. And then that feeling of anger leads to a certain behavior, whatever that might be. Um, and, and that's how we saw this pick up with Elijah. He, his event was a death threat. He thought that there was no way he could live. So his feeling was despair and depression. And his behavior was, I'm going to lay down in the desert and die. Uh, last week, we really covered uh, the first two of these, and so if you missed it, you know, maybe you can go back and listen to it, but we really talked about the event. Who's in control of the events? God is, and so maybe that helps you rethink what happens in your life. I mean, today, what's going to happen is we're going to finish this story of Elijah. 
we're going to see what God does for him on Mount Horeb, a.k.a. Mount Sinai. And what God's going to do in this next part is he's going to address Elijah's feelings and also realign his behavior, reshaping the feeling, realigning the behavior. And along the way, uh, we're going to see that a lot of this applies to us also. Um, that said, you can follow along. Uh, this, this portion is in your, your program, or if you have your Bible along, uh, this would be a great place to break it out too. But we're going to dive right into here and see how God addresses Elijah on Mount Horeb and what he's going to do to help reshape his feelings and realign his, his behavior. Uh, so with that said, we're going to dive right into 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to pick it off where we left off last week. Elijah's in a cave, and he's all by himself, and then this is what happens in verse 9. The word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Sometimes when God asks questions, it it perks up my attention. Actually, every time God asks a question, it perks my attention because it's not like God needs to ask questions, does he? He already knows what's going on. And so the reason he asks questions isn't for his benefit, but it's for the benefit of whoever he's talking to. Here's what he wants Elijah to do. Here's what he wants you and me to do. This is going to be our first point in just a second. He wants us to really be honest with what's going on. Maybe, maybe the emotion that you came in here with, maybe it's anger, maybe it's fear, maybe it's despair, maybe it's whatever. What is it that got you there? What are you doing here? What he wants Elijah to do is really open up and identify what's going on inside. And this is really the, the very first important step. If, if we're going to reset our hearts and reset emotionally on the way we give glory to God, the first thing we have to do is figure out what it is. Open up. Identify it. And for guys, I can relate to you best, so I'm going to talk to you first. For, for guys, there's this problem that we have. You know, when someone says, oh, open up and share your feelings, or open up, tell me what's going on, what do guys do? Head for the fridge and grab a beer, right? You know, we, we try to you know, avoid identifying feelings as much as we can. We bury it. In fact, we have this place, a lot of us have this place called a man cave. Do you have one of those? Whether it's a place with a TV or maybe it's just the garage or whatever. Maybe it's a place out on the lake with, with your fishing pole. You ha- we all have our little man caves where we can go and just not think about things. Not address things. Not identify things. That's the funny side of it. The scary side of it is when we really don't want to address what's inside, we do something called self-medicate. And that can be done with alcohol. It can be done with drugs. It can be done with pornography. It can be done with work. All sorts of things we can do to self-medicate so that we don't have to think about what's going on. But here's the thing. When when we go into our man caves and when we don't address what's going on inside, it makes you and me really bitter people to live with. And women are going, oh yeah, that's right. When he doesn't open up, when he bottles up, it's it's, it's a bitter, bitter thing. Um, But women, you're not off the hook. And here's where you can disagree with me on this. This is kind of how I see things. But for women, it's not so much this, this um, struggling with identifying the emotion. Here's, here's where women tend to struggle. It's that women are identified by their emotion. In other words, you don't just feel angry. You are angry. You don't just feel upset. You are upset. 
You aren't just unhappy. Everybody's unhappy because women have this ability to sort of set the atmosphere, right? You know, um, it's not that they have trouble identifying the emotion. It's that they, they struggle with being identified by it. But whether you're men, whether you're women, it doesn't matter. God says this is something important. When you get to him and when he starts to reset what's going on in your heart, the first question he asks is a question that you have to ask too. What am I doing here? What is it? And uh, as you look at this, uh, Elijah is going to answer this question. What are you doing here? Let's go on to the next slide here. Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. This is why he's here. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So in a very brief section, he goes from the event to the thought to the feeling to the behavior. This is why he's here. And let's pick apart some of the things he says. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord. Uh, the way to say that in, in Hebrew is he's been zealously zealous for the Lord. Uh, a week and a half ago, um, the, the ladies group here, they, they called me up or they texted me. Or, somebody contacted me. I think there's somebody sitting in this room. And they, they wanted to know what kind of dessert my wife Amy likes because it was her birthday. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, here's what she likes. She likes chocolate smothered in chocolate. That's what she likes. And that's good for me to know because when I'm bitter to live with, I can break out the chocolate. That's sort of a tension breaker. But she, she likes chocolate smothered in chocolate, pancaked with chocolate. Anything with chocolate oozing out of it, that, that's what she likes. That's kind of what, what uh, Elijah is saying here. Lord, I've been zealous, smothered in zealous, sandwiched with zealousness for you. What does that look like? It looks, you, you can tell when people are just doing something because they're paid to do it, right? This is sort of their job and they're sort of, that's not what Elijah did. His heart, his soul, his body, everything that defined him, he was in it to serve God. All of him was dedicated. But here's where the tragedy happens. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. And if you were here last week, you remember the significance of Sinai or Horeb, right? This is where God made the covenant, where he said, you'll be my people, this is what you'll do, and, you'll be, and um, I'll be your God, this is what I'll do. You know, there's this covenant that was made, and Elijah's like, they broke it. The covenant's been broken by the people. And here's the bad thing. They broke the covenant on my watch. They've broken down your altars, no more sacrifices. They've put all the prophets to death. I'm the last one. He is in despair. But it's very important what he did. It's not pretty what he did. It's not pretty what you see here, but it's very important. It's what you and I need to do also. You need to open up, you need to answer honestly, why am I here? And then you need to identify it. Uh, if, if you're filling in what's, what's on your sheet, that's our number one here today. The, the, the first thing that we need to do is identify the emotion. Identify that feeling. Uh, figure out what it is 
and get it out there. Because in this process, what you're going to do is you're going to identify what, what was the event that set me off. Let's just say it's anger. And what was the thought that I had in response to that event? And then how did I feel when I thought that? And then what was my behavior? It causes you to walk through all of that and identify the issue. But once you do that, I'm going to make an argument here. Once you do that, I, I think that the next step is actually more important. This is the most important part that a lot of times we skip. And, and it's um, exemplified by this. So, so Elijah has just poured out his heart to God, and, you know, he's vulnerable. What's God going to say? This is what happens next. <clears throat> the Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Elijah, what you just said, what you just shared with me, I'm glad that you shared it. Let's take some time with this, Elijah. There are some things that when someone puts it out, you're like, okay, let's stop everything. Let's just stop and address this. And that's what God is doing with Elijah. He says, Elijah, you, you just shared some pretty deep stuff. I, I can see that you're hurting. I can see that you're afraid. I can understand these emotions. It may, may, makes sense. A lot of you might say, I'd be, I'd be in the same shoes as Elijah. I'd be afraid. I'd be running. And the cool thing is God doesn't just say, ah, oh, come on, get over it. You know, he doesn't kick his prophet and say, get back to work. What, what he does is he takes the time to, to validate what Elijah is feeling. To validate simply means this. To validate means that you acknowledge the feeling is there. And you acknowledge that it makes sense that it's there. Not that you're saying the feeling is right or that it's justified or that it makes sense. You know, guys, that's what we wrestle with. It doesn't make sense. You know, just ignore it. We have to validate it, acknowledge it, and say that we understand why it's there, that it's there. And that's a really important step in the process because unless you validate that emotion or that feeling, what you're going to do is you're just going to set it off aside and say, well, I'll deal with that later, or that's not really important, or that's just a feeling. God says no. You're going to think of a song, but it's more than a feeling. This is something important that he wants to take. And so he makes his manifestation before Elijah to make sure that this is something they work out. Uh, let's see here. What's next? Fill in number two. Step two is to validate that emotion. Validate it. What happens next, I'm going to be honest with you. This is something that perplexed me for a very long time. I never could really make good sense of this. And a part of me still kind of wrestles with it as far as what's the purpose of this? Or what's God doing here? Why is he doing it? Um, but we're going to draw some conclusions out of this. We're going to play it safe and just you know, let the Bible speak. And then we're going to make some conclusions based on what we see. So when God says, all right, let's go meet, let's talk about what's going on here, this is what happens. Verse 11. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. 
and, and this, this section has perplexed me for so long because, you know, so many different people take these different things, the fire, the earthquake, the wind, and, and they ascribe different things to them. And it's like, I need someone professional just to explain this to me. But, but there's some, some pretty simple things going on here. First of all, who was God's audience for all of these great things? Who was it? Elijah. Who was he trying to send a message to? Elijah. What was the message he was sending? And now here's where we start to analyze things a little bit. What was the message God was sending? Here's what message God is sending. There's a lot of things I'm capable of doing here. But this is the way I'm going to approach you. Or maybe this is an overly simplistic way to describe it. Or, uh, but this is kind of the, the way that made b- best sense to me. Let's say that you're expecting a very, very, very wealthy, powerful person over to your house. And so you're watching the road waiting for them to come. And you see this super fast sports car rumbling down the street, and you're like, that's got to be them. But it passes by your house. They're not in the car. And so there's this next car. It's this big black, dark-tinted windows, big luxury car, you know, several hundred thousand dollars. Um, and you're like, that's got to be them. They're not in the car. They, they keep going by. And then there's this, you know, a few ordinary cars. You don't even pay attention to them. It's like a Ford Taurus or a Honda Civic or something. And you see all of them all over the place, so you don't really pay attention. But... Sure enough, one of them comes into your, your driveway and parks. He's in that one. You know, what, what message is he sending by coming to you in such a common car? Maybe, maybe he's trying to tell you something. That, that's what I get from, from this experience between God and Elijah. He could have come in all sorts of different forms. He could have made his presence through fire, through wind, through earthquake. But God knows Elijah needs something that's gentle. He needs something to, to comfort and to guide. And so he comes to him in a gentle whisper. What God is doing is he's starting to challenge the way that Elijah has been feeling. He's been feeling, oh, it's all hopeless. Oh, I'm powerless. Oh, everything's going wrong. But things are starting to change now. God's doing something extraordinary to reshape the way Elijah thinks. And my prayer for you is that when you need it, God does extraordinary things to help you reshape the way you're feeling about things going on in your life. We're going to draw a conclusion about this in just a second. Uh, Let's see what's going on here next. A voice came to him again. This is after the wind, fire, earthquake. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then verse 14, he starts to Repeat word for word what he had said before. What are you doing here? I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. You know, he goes, this is exactly the same as before. But when you look at what's coming up next, I sincerely believe that Elijah is speaking in a different tone here. The reason he's here hasn't changed, and he, he knows that. The reason he's here is because he was afraid. He didn't want to die, and so he, he, you know, he's, he's running away. The reasons haven't changed, but now he's starting to think, well, maybe, maybe my reasons weren't all that good. Maybe the, the things I've been feeling have been flowing more out of fear and not so much out of faith. More out of fear, less, less out of faith. And that there's an important difference there I want to make sure that you go home with. If your actions, if your feelings flow from fear, 
That means everything is about you and everything is up to you. And that's exactly what Elijah was thinking. He's everything is about me. Everything is up to me. I've tried my best. I'm a failure. You know, he's telling himself all these things. Elijah said, it's all up to me, God. And, and, and that was a big burden for that guy to carry. It was too heavy. There came a point when with this wind, this earthquake, and this fire, Elijah began to realize, it's not about me. It's not up to me. His feelings have been flowing from fear, but you know what? It's, it's a lot different when your feelings flow from faith. And that means you believe that it is up to God, and you believe it is about God. And that's how you interpret everything that comes across your life. It's for God and about God and up to God to take care of it. So the third key question I want you to ask yourself as you go, this is the third fill-in. You ask yourself, do my feelings, does this feeling flow from faith? Is this, is this demonstrating a faith in God knowing that he's in control of all things? Or is this something that's flowing more from fear where I'm putting too much focus on myself? We're going to hit uh, one last part of the story here, and this is, this is the reason why I know for, for a fact that something inside of Elijah has been reset, and, and we'll talk about that in just a second here. Here's how the story uh, finishes off, starting in verse 15 here. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came, to the desert, and I'm not going to read the whole thing here. Go back the way you came, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha to succeed you. And we're not going to read this whole thing because the only way it's going to make much sense is if we keep reading and we don't have time for that. But you can do that at home. Basically, he says, look, Elijah, there's three things you got to do. Anoint, anoint, anoint. And here's, here's something to, to keep in mind. Something has changed inside of Elijah because this, what, what God is saying here, God could have told Elijah when he was still sitting under that broom tree. He didn't have to bring him all the way to Horeb to tell him this. He could have said, get up, you lazy prophet. Go anoint, anoint, anoint. Then you can come back and take a nap under this tree and die. God was not just interested in Elijah's behavior. God was more interested in his heart. And once God helped him to reshape his feelings and reset his heart, then Elijah's behavior was naturally aligned the way God wanted it to be. God was not so much inter interested in his behavior. God was more interested in his heart. And since God knew Elijah's ready for this, that's how we know that something had changed inside of him. And, and I'm going to wrap it up with this last verse here. Um, what, one last thing that God tells him to give him some comfort. Verse 18. God said, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Now, do you remember how, how Elijah was feeling? He was feeling, I'm alone. I've got no hope. I'm, I'm working against the, you know, all of Israel has broken your covenant. It's over. And God says, you're not alone. And here's where he starts to reshape his feelings and realign his behavior with some facts. You are not alone. There are 7,000 people out there whose hearts are reset just like yours. 7,000 people out there, Elijah, who have not bowed down to Baal or kissed him. 
Elijah, there are 7,000 people out there who are depending on you. Now get out there and anoint, anoint, anoint. And he went. The thing about with this last section is, why did Elijah think he was alone? And why was he in, you know, what was it that really set him off? And I think it's this one thing. Think to yourself, who's the person that you listen to the most each day? I'll take some answers if you feel bold. Who's the person you listen to the most? Yourself. That's correct. So you might think um, spouse. You might think mom, dad. You might think boss. No, the person you listen to is the most because there's this voice inside of you that continually tells you things. It tells you things like you are foolish. It tells you things like what you did was just inexcusable. You're worthless. And this voice tells you these things over and over and over and over again. And it says, you know what? Nobody should like you. And it's these lies that we tell ourselves a lot. Then after we listen to them for a while, we start to believe them. That's exactly what got Elijah here. There was a voice he listened to a lot, and it was his own. So as, as, we, as we turn this corner then, you know, start to apply this, well, then how do we go forward? How do we have a reset? Here's the thing. With these lies you tell yourself, you cannot reshape them. You can't reshape a lie. It's a lie. You cannot realign a lie. It's a lie. It's no good. So what you have to do is you have to take these lies that you tell yourself and you have to leave them at the cross. You have to. Here's what we often think. We think that we're identified by what we've done or we're identified by what we feel. God says that's a lie. Leave it at the cross. There was an identity that Jesus won for you at the cross. And there is an identity that he unleashed at his empty tomb. Forgiven child of God is who you are. Leave the lies you tell yourself at the cross and carry with you this identity of being a child of God forever. And when, when you do that, you begin to realize, you know, we've been talking about resetting our hearts, you know, understanding this, this um, event, thought, feeling, behavior thing. And we've been working a lot with that. But at the heart of it, we can't reset a broken heart. That's why God replaced it. At the cross, at the empty tomb, when you were baptized, when, when, when God's word came to you, God gave you a new heart to work with. And that, that is what we're working with in this series. Some, some feelings and some behavior that, that doesn't come from you but it comes from God. Okay, where does it come from? How does God align you? You know, what's the 7,000 promise that God needs to tell you? I can't tell you. But part of my vision for this series was I would end this talk by giving you like 50 different Bible passages and hope that one of them stuck with you for wherever you're at. And I thought to myself, that's not how people learn and that's not going to be effective. And there's something better anyway. Now, maybe some of you need that injection, and if you need specific passages, let, let us know. But uh, there's something even better, and that is not to just push reset today and say, all right, I'm emotionally reset, I'm done. But there's a button you have to push every single day. And we talked about it in the spirit, spiritual portion, and that is staying in your, in, the, in your Bible, staying in God's Word, because two things will happen when you do that. You're going to find that God addresses that feeling, that emotion that you're wrestling with, and he addresses it very specifically in some places, and that's going to feed you. That's going to help you. That's going to realign you. And you're going to see something else. God's going to bring to the surface some things you never knew you had, some issues that you never even thought of. 
But he's going to do it not with a great wind, not with the spire, not with an earthquake, but with his gentle voice, which he gives to his child. And so as, as we close up, I recognize that some of us may be in hard spots. Some of us might be under the broom tree still. And so I'm going to share with you a prayer that I often think for myself when I feel like I'm there. And I'm going to pray it over you as we close up. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, sometimes I feel a lot like Elijah. Alone, frustrated, a failure, and powerless and hopeless. For some reason, the reason I can't explain, you still reach out to me and you still comfort me. And like you did with Elijah, sometimes you still bring me back to you like you brought him back to Mount Horeb. For reasons I can't explain, you don't come to me with with wind and with fire and with earthquake, but you come to me with your gentle voice. And so this is my prayer, that you would remind me of the new heart that you placed inside of me. And that you would reshape it and that you would realign it to be in in line with, with the love that you showed me in Christ. I ask this for myself. I ask this for all the people in this room that you would deal with us according to your grace and mercy. And that you would lead us to live lives that give you glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name as we also join in the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.